welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Tom O'Neill, former Senior Vice President and General Counsel at Exelon. It's a great story. I love the discussion. Tom and I go back a few years, so we know each other well. Tom has made, he made the transition from a law firm partner at Jenner & Block to Exelon probably about 20 or so years ago, and then worked his way through different business departments to the, the GC position there in 2017, and recently gone back to Jenner and Block. So he takes us through that journey. We take a deep dive in, in relation to Exelon, what he learned there, what he learned about himself, and the importance of you know backing oneself, even though you might not, you're outside your comfort zone and you don't have the specific domain knowledge. He talks about how that benefited him and what he learned and how important judgment was. And then back to a law firm now, he talks about what that's been like, and it's only early, early days yet, but what he's going to look to use in terms of his past learnings and see how he can leverage that into the next part of his career. But it's a fantastic discussion. Really enjoyed it. Tom's a fantastic person, a lot of time for him. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, So in the usual faction audience, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Tom O'Neill, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Yeah, I've been very excited about this episode. Tom, you you and I have known each other for several years, but typically I start off with a high-level overview of my guest career, but I'm going to let you do that, Tom, if that's okay. Um, Take us through the Tom O'Neill story to date. Okay, well, that's a a tall order, a big task, but I'll, I'll do my best and I won't go all the way back, but I'm at Jenner and Block now, as you know, and I actually started my career here at Jenner and Block right out of law school. I was I was attracted to the firm for the firm values, including the pro bono program. And I came here in the late 80s and I was an associate and I, you know, worked my way up and made partner and I was, you know, humming along and I thought I would never leave Jenner and Block. Back then the firm, you know, the firms were sort of still in the profession mode and people stayed their whole career and I thought that was me, you know. Yep. You got a knock on the door, did you, Tom? I did, uh, in a sense. One of my partners, he's actually now back here as the co-managing partner, you know, he had just gone to this company called Exelon, which was formed by corporate merger. And and he called me, we had been talking about, you know, we'd been working on some cases together. And, and I had told him in passing, hey, I, you know, the more I go and the higher up I get, and I spend time with C-suite people at our clients, you know, we're litigators and we're yesterday's problem. And they're always looking ahead to tomorrow's problem. And I thought that seems fun to me, you know. Yep. Yep. So he called me and said, come join the team at Exelon, help me help me solve tomorrow's problems. And I was interested. The catch was the job was as a, a, a associate counsel in the nuclear power generation. Exelon is a very large generator of nuclear power. And I'm an English major. Jim, I had never worked for this client. I had no experience in the energy industry. And I thought, you know, why the heck would they hire me? And, and why the heck would I take a chance on that? Yep. But the long and short of it is they needed a generalist. They had the management was turning the company around, turning the performance of those plants around. They had a lot of legal issues that kind of spanned the the spectrum, and and it turned out to be a good fit. They needed a generalist to to manage it and align those legal issues with where they wanted to take that part of the company. 
And, you know, that was it. That was what I was. And I told, you know, the folks that I was interested in the business side. And, you know, fast forward, I, I went there, I immersed myself in the legal business. I actually went to MIT for four weeks to learn about the nuclear business because I thought that that was important and they invested in me. And, you know, along about five years later, after I'd had some wins, you know, the chief nuclear officer came to me and said, I want you to run the, the licensing department. And that is basically the most technical shop in the business. It's all about, you know, complying with the NRC regs and keeping the plants within their design parameters, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, look, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know anything about that. And he said, well, you said you wanted this. So, you know, basically what's it going to be? And yep. I took it. And it was, you know, like first of many pivots. And I was suddenly in charge of a hundred people who knew more about everything than I did or PhDs in nuclear physics. And, and it was a, a crash course in leadership. It's probably the most I learned one time about leadership and how to get things done through others. Yeah. As opposed to the lawyer model of, of doing it yourself. And from there, I had I did some crisis management, not by choice, but uh, that's the way it goes. We had we had some big issues. And I then same guy who's who's now the CEO of Exelon, but same, same guy asked me to to take on a role. We were thinking at the time of building new nuclear power in America and in Exelon. And I took over a massive project down in Texas and led a team of people. And again, in areas I had kind of no business, you know, doing, but, but I did some power plant development work. And for a while there was inactive on my law license. I thought I was at that point, I thought I was never going back to being a lawyer, yep. you know, and, you know, I did some international work, started up a, a company and actually two companies inside Exelon. And one day in 2010, you know, same thing, tap on the shoulder. We need you to go to one of our utilities to combat in Chicago, the GC's and the head of regulatory is coming to corporate. There's a big hole. You got a law license, and we want you to learn the utility side of the business. So I'd been all generation and and a, a pivot, you know. And and my answer was, well, I don't know anything about that, and I got to start over, you know. I've heard this story yeah. before. I don't know anything about that, but <laughs> but I got to start over. And yep. so I I went over there, you know, and we can talk more. But I mean, why do you take risk in your career? And and you know, the opportunities are there, and I trust the people. At that point, he were offering them to me, and yep. it, you know, I'm a curious guy, and so I went and learned the utility business, and and did that for six years, and then in 2017, that led me to the corporate general counsel job, and I did that. You know, again, I thought I kind of knew the company at that point, but that was a really big job. I, I enjoyed it, but you know, in the last couple of years, Exelon has gone through some some pretty significant change, and you don't always expect that. And I had to really think hard about what my future looked like. And I pivoted again because my old law firm, Jenner and Block, you know, offered me, made me a really nice offer. They've got a good energy practice here. And so having sworn that I would never leave Jenner and then later having sworn that I'd never be a lawyer again, here I am back in, in private practice. And, you know, I'm excited about it. It's, you know, I have two grown sons and they, we were just talking about the energy that you get from, from pivoting and yep. kind of pruning the tree, if you will. And so I'm transitioning into private practice. I have some thoughts about what I want to get out of private practice and what I want to bring from in-house into private practice. And if it goes the way I want it to, I think it's going to be great. I'm going to have some autonomy. And if it doesn't go the way I want it to, there'll be another pivot. You know, we'll, we'll pivot again. So Tom, a whole lot to unpack there. And I do want to get to the move to private practice a little bit later on, but I really want to unpack your time in-house 
a couple of things. Firstly, what are you learning about yourself as you're taking on these new challenges? Because I think, firstly, you're starting off as a litigator, and I love that because we, in the last couple of episodes, we had these question marks, or I've had the guests have question marks about whether their background as a litigator is going to suit them well to a more generic position as a general counsel. And every time it's happened, it's worked out really well. So a shout yeah. out to the litigators there. At a personal level, though, you're taking on these challenges. You know nothing about the, if you like, the subject matter that you're getting into, but you've got the courage and the will to go there. Tell me why and what are you learning about yourself during that? And what kind of advice are you would you give to others that have got that kind of opportunity or are worried about that kind of opportunity because of their lock of, let's say, lack of domain expertise? Well, you know, I would, I'm like a lot of people, I'm curious. I like to be engaged. I'm introspective. And, you know, to agree, we're all risk averse. But, you yep. know, the main thing I learned is the courage involved in, in taking a calculated career risk. You know, when I was talking about yep. leaving Jenna the first time, you know, it all sounded exciting until all of a sudden they're like, hey, let, you know, here's your offer letter. And, and I went home and talked to my spouse and I said, you know, I don't know. I'm mean, feet are getting <laughs> cold. And then I got a big push out the door. She's like, you know, no, you, you want yep. this, right? So. Yep. One learning is, you know, people people are there to help you and you, and you got to take some risk. And, and I'll tell you a, a story. The very first day I started at Exelon Nuclear, the HR guy said, you know, if you go to the morning call where they talk about plant operations, you'll learn a lot. I went in there and they spoke in so many acronyms. It, is, it was like a foreign language to me. And I went home to my, you know, loving spouse and I said, I have made one huge mistake. Here. What have I done? I, I've had I that done? in my life. What the yep. hell have I done? And, and you had and, that moment, and, did you? Yeah, I did. But, you, you know, yeah. you have fortitude as well. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot you learn about yourself. You know, I mentioned that I've had a number of mentors and sponsors in my career and people see things in you that you don't often see in yourself. Yeah. And if you're willing to, to take a chance, um, calculate it. You don't want to be reckless. And if you're willing, you know, there's a lot of talk about it, but if you're willing to fail a little bit or at least admit that you don't know what you're getting into and yep. give it the old, the old try, you'll surprise yourself. And if you're introspective enough, when you do fail, you know, it's a learning opportunity. And, you know, all those things came into play. I also learned to have a different kind of confidence about myself. And it came to me gradually, but I remember, you know, sort of a key moment. I hadn't been at Exelon that long, and it was actually an outside lawyer who was advising the company. And I had been in a number of meetings. I was on the leadership team, and he came into my office and closed the door, and he said, listen, I noticed that when, when the folks are asking, you know, for your input, you, you start off your answers by saying, well, you know, I'm probably the least knowledgeable or I'm not the expert. And he said, quit apologizing for not being the smartest person in the room. They didn't hire yeah. you to be the smartest person in the room. They hired you because you have a point of view and they want to hear your point of view. And, you know, that was really sage advice for me because I have found myself in positions, you know, throughout my career where oftentimes I don't, I don't know the subject matter. In fact, usually I don't know the subject matter as well as somebody else. But I, you know, over time you form through your experiences, you, you form a level of wisdom or judgment, hopefully. And that starts to matter more and more yeah. and more as you as you move up the ladder, so to speak. And, you know, in a lot of these roles, that's why you're there, not because you're the best lawyer. And it takes a kind of confidence that and also humility that, that I don't know 
you know, young, in my case, you know, kind of cocksure kid really understood, you know, and that to me has been one of the most significant learnings over time is, you know, that combination of finding the right confidence while still maintaining humility and involving others, you know, and hearing what others have to say, that's how you can add some real value. And, And I, you know, I think I've grown immensely in that regard. And I've also, you know, ever since I took the leap, other kinds of risks, you know, just I am a lot more willing to analyze. But at some point, there is a trigger pull point in time. And, you know, you got to do it or you don't got to do it, if you will. And I've gotten a lot more comfortable making decisions that are consequential because I, you know, the big one was leaving the law firm. Yeah, a couple of themes there I'd love to kind of shout out. One is the judgment point. That As you grow in your self-confidence experience and career, that's what people are after, your judgment, not necessarily your um, domain expertise. And the other, Tom, that you mentioned is finding people, mentors, those with more experience and those who can see things in you that you don't, you can't see or, or believe in you a little bit more than you believe in yourself and if I can give any advice out there being surrounded by or at least having people like that can make a huge impact you know in your career because they're the ones that create the white space around you that you otherwise don't have the confidence or the ability to see and then give you the opportunity to grow into that white space it's a mark of a true leader to recognize talent and to not micromanage it if you will the leaders that i've really enjoyed working with and have learned the most from are the ones who've set boundaries who've pushed me to to you know stretch set stretch goals you've held me accountable don't forget that but you know but from an accountability standpoint it's it can be harsh sometimes but it's a it's feedback it's learning and you learn from that and you know i think and it also translates to something else that i have found to be very difficult and and i have learned how to do much better and that's to give you know critical feedback, feedback because yeah. people want it you know even if it's hard, hard to hear you're not really helping somebody if you don't if you're their manager and you don't convey to them in a constructive, instructive way, you know, what the issue is and how they can fix it, right? Yeah. Having yeah. been on the receiving end of that, I think accountability is very important. And But also, you know, pushing people and then you got to hear from them too. You can't just push all the time, right? Yeah. Hallmarks of a true, a fantastic leader is to be able to set very clear expectations yes. of you, stretch expectations too, to, to be able to support you in meeting meeting those expectations and i love this term not to be necessarily a liked leader but a just leader so Correct. anyway i'd love to do a bit of a, a deeper dive in relation to law firm relationships and the role of a general counsel and how important that was during the course of your career in exelon and i suppose the the efforts that you made to ensure that when dealing with law firms, I know we've discussed this before, how important it is that that they have the client's business, an understanding of the client's business, so the legal issues are framed in that context. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know you and I, as I said, have spoken before about that. I know how important that is to you. I can, and I can talk about it from both sides of the fence at this point. You know, I've I've had some observations that I didn't think I had even, you know, a year ago in the GC role, but you know, I, I've I've listened to other of these episodes. I know what GCs are talking about in the main. And, you know, you're hearing a lot about how important it is for lawyers, firm lawyers to, to understand the client's business. And I think that really flows yep. from 
you know, the fact that GCs have increasing responsibilities, but really GCs and, and their teams, you know, they're charged with solving problems. And it was my experience as a GC that, you know, even the legal problems had multifacets and, and the, the non-legal solution sometimes was the better solution. I, I have many examples of that. I, I can, you know, I could tell you when, when we had a big issue with a, a particular state where we had a lot of assets, we had a really strong legal case, but the best outcome there was not to, yeah. not to win outright, right? Yeah. You, ha- you have to make sure that you, you tend to sort of the other outcomes that matter to the company. And I think what, you know, what in-house lawyers and GCs are looking for and what firms want to provide is a high, high level of legal service. But it's, it may be harder than I thought, or it may be harder than it seems for lawyers in private practice, you know, really understand how their matter fits into the overall, even just the context of the matter, let alone the strategy of the company. And I, I think what happens, you know, is, is, you know, inside lawyers, the GC wants to have his team or her team, you know, do a lot of the strategic work. You, you hire outside counsel for discrete matters when you need it. And, you know, you don't want to pay for the, all the background and getting up to speed and that kind of thing. But if you look at my career, you know, I was, I was a in-house lawyer and also an in-house client. And I was in, you know, three of our four businesses. I mean, I had a pretty good understanding of the business when I became GC, and it was still hard yeah. to capture the breadth of it as GC. And so I, I've been thinking a lot about what's the proxy for firm lawyers to get up to speed on some things, maybe more so than the model, you know, allows for. How, how does an in-house yeah. lawyer, short of particularly an in-house lawyer who's trying to win new business, you know, who hasn't worked for the client, you know, for 20 years, how do you get up to speed? And I think there's things that both the firm lawyers and, and the, and the GCs can do. One of the things I did when I was GC is we had about 100, 125 lawyers and another hundred staff and, and the corporation had a value proposition. It was five or six bullets and we had quarterly all hands meetings and I tasked everybody, let's trace how your work fits into one of these five, you know, value proposition points of the company. And we were able to show time and time again that no matter who you were in the law department, you know, your work fit into what the company was trying to do. And that sort of begs the question of, well, what is the strategy of the company? So the in-house team, you know, in the main understands that at least a little more. The firm lawyers, you know, what's the proxy for that? How how does the firm lawyer, it's not entirely possible, but I, I think there are things that both the firms and the GCs can do to better facilitate knowledge of the business by the by the lawyers they hire on the outside. And is there anything you'd call out as yeah, a, a strategy yeah. that you'd use, for example, to, to, to be able to provide that context to, I to the I think so. I mean, some of it is yeah. probably, ha- you know, it's, it's happening, but I, I think for firm lawyers, you know, ask. I mean, yeah. you know, maybe it's just because of my background, but I find myself in matters asking, hey, time out, you know, can you give yep. me some more context here? And sometimes you might even ask, you know, even if it's on my, my dime, I, I really want to understand how this fits in. And, you know, th- that takes some time. But, uh, you know, other things that I think are really helpful, you know, the more you can spend time sort of, if you're working on a litigation matter and you got to go interview a witness and it's a manufacturing company, you know, meet them at the plant and then see if you can find a way to tour the plant, you know? Yep. Things like that where you can actually lay eyes on what, this company does, uh, and that can be harder or difficult, depending. I always found that if I was down in a manhole, you know, it's going to give me a better chance to advocate for 
rate regulation because I understand I can see it, you know, and and I think there's something there. Uh, field trips matter. I think that you know having regular, even if it's just an annual meeting at the GC level with the with the firm and talking about this matters. And I think firm lawyers could do, you know, I'm sure some do. I know some do, but, you know, it's it's a bit cliche, but the earnings calls, the SEC statements, you know, the analyst reports, yeah. it's a treasure trove of information and it may, it may not have anything to do with the matter you're working on, but you can at least get some senses to, you know, hey, what are the investors asking? What's the CEO talking about on the, or the CFO on the earnings call? And, you know, can I make any sense of that? And, and I think that helps. The last thing yeah. I would say is, you know, here at Jenner, we have, we have for some of our bigger clients, client teams. And, you know, for, for the bigger firms working for the bigger companies, you can have any number of lawyers working on any number of disparate matters for a client. And if they're not talking to each other and they're not coordinating the communications back with the client and they're not, you know, talking to the in, their in-house contacts who, who might be in a connect the dots exercise with their GC then they're missing out on an opportunity. And so what we try to do here is get our client teams together and actually focus on how can we learn from each other about yeah. what we individually know about the client's business. And that's a that's a big thing. Yeah, that, that cross-fertilization and, and, and uh, serving up the opportunity internally to be able to exchange those views, absolutely key. I love the example of you know getting out, seeing the client, getting out in the nuclear plant or whatever it might be yeah. as, a, uh, as a form of construction litigator. I would love doing that, whether it was a construction site, whether it was a power plant site, whether it was on a floating storage production offshore facility unit, whatever it was, yeah. it gave a completely different perspective. Yeah, a picture really is worth a thousand yeah. words at times, yeah. you know, and you visualize your advocacy in a different way. Yeah, precisely. Okay, cool. Let, let's move on to, and I know this is another topic dear to your heart during your time at Exelon, building out a legal operations department to ensure, you know, more closely aligns, if I can put it that way, with, with business objectives. I know that that's something you focused on. Tell me about why the priorities there and some of the outcomes you were looking to achieve in building out that function at, at Exelon. Yeah, it was something I focused on. I, I felt it was important in part because you know I was seeing what was going on around. But I think the bigger reason why GCs do it is you know, and, and I saw this. You know, I was in and out of the law department, but you know, finance, supply, HR, IT. They're all run in their departments very cost sensitively. Sometimes the law departments are, you know, in the mode of, you know, we're different. You know, legal services are different. And, and I was challenged heavily on that in, in my career at Exelon, even before I was GC, you know. You can budget. And, you know, we were just, I wanted the law department to, to be like other departments. I think the senior leadership wanted that in the sense that, you know, we could use technology better. We could update our technology. We, we were in the process of updating our, our matter management system. It still had manual accruals. You know, there's, yep. there's technology that can, that can automate and you can not only take cost out, but you can just work better. You know, the main thrust was being more productive, working, working better and having the, having the law department be a contributor, you know, to value in its cost center role. Budgeting was a great example. You know, we were coming in budget, you know, under budget every year by, you know, three, four, five million bucks. And, you know, in percentages, that's 10, 15, 20%. You know, if your IT department comes in under budget, 
they're sandbaggers, right? So, yeah. so I find out that, <laughs> hey, well, we built all this contingency into our budget. So we had a big effort to, you know, wait a minute, let's estimate, you know, you, with our firms, what it's going to be. We'll, we'll have risks and opportunities, but we're not going to build these, you know, 10, 15, 25% contingencies. We quote unquote, we, we save, you know, a lot of yep. money yep. just by budgeting on a tighter basis. And it took some work, you know, it's, it's a little bit of effort, but I think, you know, when you're able to come in on budget or even slightly over, as opposed to being, you know, always, because in the end, the the corporation sweeps that money, it's money could have been used for something else. And so you want to be a contributor to your company. And I already talked about sort of, you know, connecting the dots, but I think legal operations, the focus, you know, had had a great director of legal operations, you know, she went to clock, we learned a ton from, from other people, but the point of it was we were we were running our shop, you know, in a manner that was consistent with the business. And I think that it not only was a tighter shop, we felt better about it. And our peers, you know, in other in, a, in other departments, you know, you know, respected that. And I think that when you we, we use metrics, too. So when you start focusing on, hey, you know what are the drivers here? We may talk in a minute, but you know, there is a lot of cost, but we also started focusing on the value that we bring. And when you can start measuring what you want to measure, it's not all about cost. Um, the law yep. department can be a real value center as well and a protector of value and a bringer in of value. And that was a key message too. And it was enabled by running the department from an operations standpoint, you know, in a, in a tighter way. And I hear a lot of people talking about it and I think it's very important and it translates into what you know what we're doing in the law firm as well. It's it's really a transition, isn't it, Tom? From essentially not being able to measure whatever it is outside council spend, your internal costs, whatever it might be, not being able to measure to be able to measure and predict because you you're not a hero if you come in under budget by three or four million dollars. Something happened. You're not at the a beginning, hero like you think you are. That's right. No. <laughs> no. Yep. Yep. And, and, and then and, you can start to plan around that too. Yeah. You know. And it scares people because, yeah, it's true. You know, you don't know when the next litigated matter is going to come in. Well, you know, the the guy tending a pump at a power plant, you know, is trying to predict when the seal is going to break too and, and avoid that. And, you know, it's not unlike what other people are doing in other parts of their business. Yes, there are differences, but you can plan for it. And I think when you understand better sort of what your drivers are, are you working efficiently? You can start to ferret out, hey, where are the problems here? And, you know, the other thing I did, Jim, that was huge uh, was we hadn't adjusted our pay scale for our in-house lawyers in quite some time and had been hearing about that. Yep. When you find money because you're managing your costs better, you can do things like adjust pay scales. And that's that's how you get people's attention, right? Yep. Hey, we can do the things we want to do if we if we're careful about how we manage our department. And I got a lot of support for it when I start when we started realizing we can upgrade our technology, we can make salary adjustments because you know why? We're not going to the corporation and asking for that money. We're paying for yep. it. Yep. And I love that being able to manage the department in the way in a way that enables then to reinvest back into whatever it might be, people, technology, transformation initiatives. But you're doing that because of the wins yeah. you're achieving by, by by managing better, essentially, what whatever those systems and processes are in place. Yeah. Tell me about how um, some of the law, how, what was the kind of law firm reaction, if you like, 
to some of the initiatives that you started putting in place with the, the legal ops team, whether it was around spend, reporting, whatever it might be. How did you find, was there a variety of responses? Talk about that a little bit. You know, it was positive. I mean, one of the things we tried to do as a, as a client, and I, you know, what we talk about here at Jenner trying to do as a firm is sync up with the legal ops, right? Yeah. So people use different softwares, you know, not everybody's on the same platform, but if you can, no matter which side of the fence you're on, if, if you can sync up your technology for invoicing, billing, matter management, keeping track of who your timekeepers are, you're taking a lot of manual work out of everybody's day. And, you know, the firms that we were able to work with in that regard, I, I think really valued it. And in fact, one of the things we talk about here at General Block is being as much as possible, you know, a hassle-free client in or a hassle-free firm in uh, yep. in that regard, because we think there's, it may not translate into fees, but in terms of who do you want to work with, it's the person who, or the firm that's, you know, that's hearing you, even giving you constructive feedback on, on your systems and, you know, eliminating some of the administrative headaches that can certainly come up. And, you know, by having our, our, our guidelines online, you know, just simple things like that, by, by making sure that, you know, the firms understood uh, what our expectations were around matter management, you know, setting clear expectations and having the tool that allows them to do it. There's always going to be a little bit of, well, we don't use that tool or it's not working. It, but that's what you talk about, right? But yep. in the main, I, I felt like, you know, it was a way to, particularly with firms that were te- technologi- you know, technologically advanced, I mean, I felt like it was a, a really good way to f- facilitate the partnership between the firm and the company. And, and as I think about it from this side, you know, I think there's a lot, a lot to be said for that. And, you know, we're doing a lot here. Um, I mentioned, you know, one of my, co- one of my partners, the co-managing partner was a former GC, very metrics oriented. We've got a new chief operating officer. We're, we're making improvements into how we manage the firm in part because we financially need to do that, but in part because, you know, we want to be able to reach out to our clients and work with their legal ops departments and and be that hassle-free firm and be that firm that if we see something, maybe we can add some value back and, and we can solidify our relationships by virtue of the fact that we're productively working for each other. I do like that description of a, a, of a hassle-free firm. We all actually want to work in a hassle-free way, yeah. if you like. And when your life is made difficult because, let's say, the people or partners or whatever it might be you're working with just make your life hard, that's just tough. And so to the extent that you can kind of, yeah, I do like that, to the extent you can lubricate the relationship because all parties know, you know common goals, what each other need, yeah. you know, that, that's the stuff you want to be spending your time on. It's very hard to spend time on difficult, difficult people, difficult clients, difficult relationships. Well, there's, there's plenty of that naturally. Yeah. You know, another <laughs> yeah. thing that I think is important, it, it's, it overlaps with legal ops, but, you know, if you're talking about diversity and inclusion, you know, like a lot of companies, uh, you know, we, we measured what our firms were doing. We had some accountability, bonus kind of things or recognition. But when I think about, you know, opportunities, we were talking about how to, how to know the business better. I, I, it's a bit of a separate topic, but, you know, there's real opportunities for the GCs as well as the firms because we, we both have the common goal of improving diversity in the profession. Yep. You know, GCs have a pulpit there. They have a voice that matters and the firms have needs and, and, and opportunities. And I think that, you know, when you're measuring and then you, you think about, what concrete actions as a GC can you take to support the growth of 
firm lawyers, including diverse lawyers, to know your business, you can kill two birds with one stone or more, more so in a lot of ways there. And it kind of ties back to how you run your shop, whether you call that legal ops or not. And, and, and I had quite a bit of experience and was really interested. Um, I was on the LCLD board when I was at Exelon and really spent some time in that organization and really thought about, all right, you know, it's not just a, a, an Exelon problem, but for our firms, what can I do as a, a client, not just to demand it, but to help it? And maybe that's inviting some lawyers in from our firms for a tour of our, our business so that they get a better understanding and one day it doesn't have to take 20 years to become the relationship partner because we're help facilitating it along. I think firms and, and companies and you know firms and clients can really work together in that regard to help try to crack that nut. And, and it stems from how you run your shop. Now, Tom, you haven't given yourself a shout out, but I'm going to give you one. Of course, Exelon won, I think it was last year under your guidance, an ACC Value Champion Award in relation to essentially increasing DNI spend. I think there was something like an 18% increase in the spend amongst minority and women-owned business law firms. So that was a fantastic yeah. achievement last well, year. Well, thank you. I wasn't sure whether you're going there, and I thought if he's not going to go there, no, I'm no, going to go I, there. I, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go there myself. The you know, no, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Just, it's the team yeah. focusing on, you know, what do we care about, what are we going to measure, and and what are we going to – I mean, engagement's another word that I used a lot. You know, what are we going to engage in? Uh, there's a lot going on in people's careers and the work that they're doing. But if you can if you can line up, you know, what's important, how are we going to engage, whether that's budgeting or DEI, that's how you achieve. Fantastic. Now let's um, let's transition a little bit away from the role as the GC. Now you've, as you said, you've pivoted again. You've gone back into the law firm. You've gone back to Jenner and Block. Tell me a little bit about your thinking. What brought you to this point, and what your what, what you think the challenges are going to be, what challenges you've already had, I suppose. It's only been short. It's only been a few months. And what you're hoping the next 12, 24 months and beyond are going to look like for you. Yeah, well, I said, as I said, I'm introspective and I've also been able, I think, see clearly down the road. And, and the opportunity for, for me was here. And, you know, but as I said, I... What I'm what I'm hoping to achieve is I there's a there's a practice here in energy, but I I, I also want to try to you know figure out how to leverage my C-suite and my and my GC experiences, which it, it made me a better lawyer. My all my client experiences made me a better lawyer, and I think I'm going to be a better firm practitioner for that. The question is, you know, will anybody pay me for that? But we do have a big <laughs> robust energy practice, and you know, I think we can. I think I can help with this team. You know, really grow that. And so I'm, I'm focused on that, but I'm also trying to bring to bear, you know, the learnings that I've had from being in-house and, you know, help the firm in any way I can in regard to that. It's a different transition, Jim. You know, when I was GC, like all the GCs who are out there, you know, you're, you got a big team, you're leading your team, things come to you, everything lands on your desk. Yep. Uh, you're trying to set the, the, the vision and the strategy, but in the main, you're trying to, you know, you got more than you can handle and you got to juggle a lot of balls here if I don't put a pressure header on something and, and try to make things happen, you know, yep. it's not going to happen. And I got to make a lot of phone calls and, and I'm happy to do it. But what my vision is, is I think I can really help not only grow the practice, but grow it in areas where, where we haven't been, because I, I'd like to see us do, you know, more work in certain types of areas The the whole decarbonization and shift to a new energy economy is upon us. Opportunities abound for existing clients, for prospective clients, for new entrants, 
and, and I have, you know, kind of a front row seat or I've had. So I think there's a ton of opportunity. And for me personally, I'm at a point where, you know, I've talked to my, my grown sons about this, uh, who've given me sage advice where, you know, a couple of things have happened. One is I've, I've come out of sort of the, the necessarily deep burrow that was excellent. And I see a big, broader landscape and the, the creative juices really start to flow. And I think, if, you know, if, if I can develop a practice uh, together with my partners here the, the way I want, I'll have the ability to have a little more autonomy, to see across, you know, a number of companies, industries, and to provide advice for clients that I want to work with at a stage of my life where, you know, I'm trying to kind of literally bring it all back home, yep. as you heard, you know, to quote Bob Dylan, or at least an album cover, and, you know, see what I can make of that. And I, I'm excited about it because I think it's going to take, uh, tie up, you know, quite a number of skills that I have and see if I can offer something that is of value, you know, to the clients who may want to work with me and my yeah. and our team here. No doubt, Tom. But I don't know how I was going to call it a unique skill set, but certainly being able to bring the benefit of the last twenty plus years in house and all of the challenges that you've talked about, particularly in the industry, in the energy yeah. industry, and particularly given the the environment we're in right now and how important that industry, the role that industry is going to play over the course of the next five, 10 plus years. Well, I, I think there's a lot of pretty opportunity. Ex- pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. You got a lot of new entrants, for example, you know, who yeah. are, who are doing well, but it's kind of a complicated regulatory scheme. It's there's a need to change rules and laws, and you know I've got experience with all of that. So I, I'm hopeful. I'm hoping that you know, this can work out to to our mutual advantage here, and I'm very confident that it will. And the firm's been fantastic, and 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 you know we got a great team. I'd forgotten what a collection of talent is a law is a law firm, a major law firm, and how eclectic that talent is. And it's just been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Fantastic. So I'm going to wrap up with a couple of rounding out questions that I usually like to ask. Looking back on your career now, if you had the opportunity to do something differently? Is there anything that stands out or are you happy with the way it's all played out so far? Well, I typically don't have regrets. Yep. <laughs> that, know, that's Jim, a good way to I, be. Let you know, me I you. never plotted a career path and, uh, and, and, you know, here I am. I will say yep. I can't, I can't think of any, you know, sort of one thing, but, you know, we talked about building judgment and, and, and a level of wisdom. And there are times when I look back and, and, you know, I had a point of view. I, I knew what, what I wanted to say, but because I was maybe being a good team player or because maybe I, you know, for whatever reason, there are times when, you know, I wish I would have said something differently or, or exercise that judgment, right. you know, because okay. held back a little bit. Did you? Wait, wait, well, wait. yeah, you, yeah. For any yeah. number of reasons, you, you might, you might not. And it could be shaped by anything. There are plenty of times when I, when I said what I thought and, and it, you know, it landed pretty, it was just stupid, but but there are times when you you know what you want to say or you know the, the what needs to be said and you got to say it. Anything that you've spent too much time worrying about in the past, which on reflection is not time well spent? Oh, there's a lot. Yeah. You know, I think details, you know, details matter. Facts win cases, so to speak. And in a company, I think as a GC, you, you got to be three, four or five questions deep. But there's a lot of minutia that's not worth worrying about. And, yep. you know, I've seen that more later in my career. Big picture matters a lot. And not just, you know, but having a depth of understanding of big picture. There's a lot of hard questions, you know, at the headline level. And uh, I probably worry too much about some of the details some of the times. And you can get bogged down and end up spending time on things that in the scheme of things really don't matter that much. Is there anything that keeps you up at night now, Tom? I would say everything, Jim. I'm a pretty heavy insomniac. <laughs> <Yeah. now. laughs> a glass of wine doesn't help that. But, 
Um, you know, I would say less and less, you know, I, I'm in a, I feel like I'm in a good place. I, I know myself, I'm, I'm comfortable with myself. I don't, I don't have burning regrets. I worry about, you know, certain things and, you know, sometimes I step thinking about, I have an active mind. And so, you know, you have to, you have to turn that off and I'm not very good at that, but in general, in the sense that you mean, I mean, right now we talked about the transition. I'm, you know, I'm very excited about it, but there's a level of, of natural anxiety that comes. I've yeah. pivoted, you know, many times in my career, as we talked about, you know, but I've also learned the most when I've been, when I've had a little bit of that, you know, that anxiousness, it's, it's where the drive comes from. So some of that, but in the main, no, I sleep pretty well. Tom, if I was a betting man and I usually bet on past performance is a good indicator of future performance, I think you're going to be fine. Yeah. Final question, advice to your 25-year-old self. I don't know if it's advice, but I guess in looking back, you know, to pick up on what I said, I mean, the times that I grew the most, both personally and professionally, were the times when I was in deep. And and took risk. And I do, it's funny, you know, I, I have, I'm sure like a lot of people at my stage, you know, people come to me and they say, you know, can I have some time for some advice? And for a long time, I thought, well, you know, why the hell would anybody want to get advice from me? It, it turns out after you've done this for, yeah, there's some advice. And, and one advice is, you know, be not afraid as much as you, yeah. as you may be. I think a lot of people, maybe even a lot of lawyers, you know, are maybe hesitant. And I can tell you that, as I say, the, the biggest leaps I've made are the ones where I've leaped. And you don't want to be reckless, but, you know, my wife and I have a kind of a joke that we like to entertain. But, you know, until you send out the invitations, you're not really having a party. But once you do, <laughs> you know, happen. it's on, right? And it's kind of the same thing. It's, you know, make the leap, trust yourself, don't be afraid, and think you'll find that there's real growth when you put yourself in a position where you have to grow, and you will. Tom O'Neill, I've had an absolute blast on this call. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. It's been a real pleasure, and it's always fun to talk to you, and I look forward to when we can crisscross the globe and see each other again in person. Yeah, I hope that's not too far away, i got to tell you. All right, see you later, Tom. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.